0: want to stay there in First Corinthians chapter 12. That will be our, our text this morning. And um, I want to plug this book this morning. I don't normally do this, but we're getting ready to start a uh, study in our small groups for everybody in the church. We're all going to be going through the same book. And you'll notice that there are two books out there that are on the table out there. One was from Father's Day last week. So if you were not with us last week for Father's Day, you'd like a book on your way out, grab one of the books called um, Called to Lead or A Dad That's Called to Lead or something like that by MacArthur. So grab that on your way out. And then this is a book that we'll be doing as a church called Instruments in the Hands of the Redeemer by Paul David Tripp, Uh, People in Need of Change, Helping People in Need of Change. And so um, those books are back there as well. Um, they are at a cost, um, but you can also get one. If you don't get one today, you can get one through your small group. Your small group leader will be grabbing a, a portion of those to take to the small group. So um, just encourage you, um, first of all, if you're not a part of a small group, it's a great opportunity to, to lock into the church body and to get to know other people on a more intimate basis. So you can, you can participate in that way. And... Um, and if you're not a part of a small group, but you'd like to be a, a part of this study, then um, see Michael Eastman, and uh, he'll make sure that you uh, get a copy of this book. I don't think Michael's in here right now. Oh, there he is. Raise your hand back there, Michael. All right, there he is. So um, with that, let's, uh, let's 1 Corinthians chapter number 12. So we've been studying on, on the church and specifically on spiritual gifts the last several weeks, uh, laying a foundation for us so we can understand the spiritual gifts, what their purposes are, how they function within the church body. And, um, and, and as we grow in understanding them, we, we hope, our prayer is that we begin to see them Unfold in our body here. People begin to actively utilize the gift that God has given them so that they can um, participate in what God has for them here. Uh, We believe that every person that has been put into this body uh, as a a church member, that they have been placed here um, purposefully. And uh, in the same way that God put fingers on your hands, and toes on your feet, and ears on your head, and eyes on your face, and a mouth on your face, every one of those things has a purpose. God has put you in this body with a very distinct purpose. And not we can't all do the same thing, but if we find our place where, where God has fitted us, I, I love the word fitted us, where God has fitted us into this body. And we find that place, and we begin to function within our fit role, um, then the body begins to move forward. A lot of things begin to happen. God is glorified in that, and um, we see him move in a very, very unique way. 1 Corinthians 12 through 14, Romans 12, and Ephesians 4 are what we would call three primary passages of Scripture that deal with this issue of spiritual gifts. And 1 Corinthians 12, this morning, is where we're at in our, for our text and the title of the message this morning is Cautions on Spiritual Gifts. Now, what you'll find is that the next three chapters, chapter 12, gives us kind of an overview. Chapter 13 talks about the, uh, the main attitude that must be associated with our spiritual gift, which is love. And then chapter 14 deals with uh, the, the gift of tongues and the gifts of prophecy. And in each case, we want to be mindful of this, that what Paul is doing is he is giving cautions. He is giving warnings because these gifts are not being used properly or effectively. So this is not a complete dissertation on spiritual gifts. As a matter of fact, the spiritual gifts uh, we don't fully understand them. And God has given us a few things in his word to caution us about their misuse, but he doesn't give us a lot of information about their proper use. He really, he he leads that in the hands of the Holy Spirit, who is the one who is manifesting himself through individuals. But he sees in this context, here in 1 Corinthians 12, he sees that these spiritual gifts are being misused. They're being used for the glory of men. They're being used without a heart of love. Or they're being misunderstood or misinterpreted, as this first text tells us. And so what Paul does is he gives a a warning, a caution, about the misuse of spiritual gifts. And we just want to start this morning to unpack this this caution a little bit. And over the next several weeks, we'll go through 12, 13, and 14, and we'll unpack it completely. Okay, so Paul uses a word here. He says in verse number 1, Now concerning spiritual gifts, brethren, I do not want you to be uninformed. Okay, this word uninformed, it comes from a Greek word that implies that there is a lack of information that leads to error, which ultimately leads to sin. Okay, So you have this, um, people are not understanding the spiritual gifts effectively, and so therefore the lack of understanding is leading to the misuse of those spiritual gifts. And ultimately, the misuse of those spiritual gifts is leading to sin, which we see in uh, chapter fourteen, and it's very, very clear that it's sin there. The word unaware here means ignorant, uh, lack of understanding, uh, wrong, error, or sin. Matthew twenty two, twenty-nine says this, and Jesus answered them, You are wrong, because you do not know the scriptures, nor do you know the power of God. In other words, their their error was a result of their lack of understanding or their lack of knowledge. And so, what we want to do is we want to gain an understanding. We want to gain a, a biblical understanding, a biblical knowledge of, of the spiritual gifts as God has laid them out for us in his word. And that, and that by understanding them, it will guard us and keep us from falling to the errors that are also associated with these spiritual gifts. I appreciate Nathan's prayer this morning where he said in his prayer that we have become worshipers of spiritual gifts instead of worshipers of the God of those spiritual gifts. And that's right on target. It's very easy to see in our culture today of religion that, that the spiritual gifts have become an idol to a lot of people. And we're, not, we're, no, we're no longer pursuing the God of spiritual gifts, but we're now pursuing the spiritual gifts. And we want to be careful and cautious of that. And that's what Paul warns us about here in this passage of Scripture when he says, I do not want you to be uninformed or unaware. He uses the same term, on several other occasions in the New Testament, let me just read a few for you. Romans 13, Paul says, I do not want you to be unaware, brethren, that I have often intended to come to you, but thus far have been, have been prevented or hindered in order that I might reap some harvest among you as well as among the rest of the Gentiles. Romans 10 and verse 3, For being ignorant of the righteousness of God, they sought to establish their own and they did not submit to God's righteousness. So not understanding God's righteousness caused them to pursue their own righteousness, which in part was was an error leading to a sin. We see this laid out for us as well in James 1, where the Bible says, When our lust hath conceived, it bringeth forth sin, and sin, when it is finished, it bringeth forth death. We see this process that people go through when it comes to a lack of understanding, leads to error, leading to sin, ultimately leading to um, spiritual, emotional uh, death, and, and ultimately physical death. Romans 11.25, the Bible says, let, it, let, you, let you be wise in your own sight. I do not want you to be unaware of this mystery, Brothers. And then 1 Thessalonians 4, 13, which many of us are familiar with, the Apostle Paul says, I do not want you to be ignorant, brethren, of um, those who have fallen asleep, that you do not grieve as others who have no hope. So the idea of what Paul is saying here is he's giving us a warning, a caution, specifically in this context about spiritual gifts. In other words, he's saying that the lack of an understanding of what spiritual gifts are ultimately can lead to flaws in their use and flaws in in understanding where they fit in in the body of Christ. So what I want to do is take this morning our text and unpack what are spiritual gifts, what are some cautions about the spiritual gifts, how the spiritual gifts function, and then in the end look at some... um, the object of spiritual gifts. What's their purpose? What, why are they there? And so let's start this morning. First of all, if you're taking notes with the origin of spiritual gifts, he says it in verse number one again, now concerning spiritual gifts. The word spiritual here implies that these gifts are not human gifts. They are directly related to something that is, that is supernatural. They're, they're, in other words, they're beyond us. When you think about spiritual gifts, you you must disconnect it from your talents and abilities because it's not necessarily associated with your talents and abilities. Now, I'm not not saying that it can't be, that God can't use your talents and abilities in the church, in the body of Christ, and, and he can associate your spiritual gift with your talent and ability. However, what I would say is that The process of Scripture implies that the spiritual gifts were not connected to a person's talent and abilities. For the most part, they were called to do things that they were not talented in. Ultimately, that they might be able to praise God and depend upon God for strength in those situations. So these gifts are not natural gifts. They're something that God gives us. The Bible teaches us that when we get saved, when we come into a relationship with God through Jesus Christ, when we embrace what Jesus Christ has done for us on the cross in his death, burial, and resurrection, that Jesus Christ paid sufficiently for our sins, he satisfied the wrath of God completely, okay, for our benefit. When we embrace that by faith, the Bible teaches us that we become a part of his family. We we enter into a relationship, we enter into his family, and as we enter into his family, the reason why we're brought into his family is because his spirit has been given to live within us. All right, so, so we become a partaker of all things that Jesus Christ accomplished for us by the presence of his indwelling spirit. So if you're saved this morning, God's spirit lives inside of you. Okay, He is, he is present in you. Jesus tells his disciples, that the Spirit of God is with you and he will be in you. So God's Spirit in in the life of every believer in Acts 2 is when it really begins to unfold because that's the time when Jesus Christ resurrects from the grave and he ascends up into heaven and he sends his Spirit down to be with us, to be in us. So when we get saved, we are indwelt by the Spirit of God. When we're indwelt by the Spirit of God, he brings a lot of things with him. He brings the righteousness of Christ with him. We become the righteousness of Christ by the indwelling power of the Holy Spirit. His presence in us makes us righteous. But not only that, as we read the, uh, last week in Ephesians 4, that, or two weeks ago, that when he comes to live within us, he brings with him gifts. He brings with him gifts. And, you know, it, it could be similar to, to you giving a gift to your child. And every year we have Christmas, and we give gifts to our children, and those gifts differ. They differ for a number of different reasons, but they, they are different gifts. And, and we give those gifts to our children because we love our children. God gives us gifts. When his Spirit comes to live within us, he brings with him a gift, right? And that gift is a gift for us to function within the body of Christ for the glory of Christ, We always want to be mindful of the fact that when Jesus came, he came to glorify the Father. He came to obey the Father. He came to do everything that the Father, God the Father, had called him to do. When he ascended up into heaven, he sent his Holy Spirit into this earth, and when he sent his Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit came to glorify Christ. Everything that the Holy Spirit does is meant to glorify Christ. It's meant to magnify Christ. So we, as the church, the body of Christ, are indwelt by the Spirit of Christ, and our main function is to glorify Him. And we do that by utilizing our spirit, utilizing, acting on the spiritual gift that He has given to us. Okay, it's, it's, a, it's a change in our life. It's, a, it's something that's new there. I, I wrote down a few things. Um, these are spiritual gifts, are things needed in the church so that it can function properly. Again, it's the body of the church is called the body of Christ. It's meant to be his hands and his feet. It's meant to do what he does and what he did. So what God does is when he when he takes an individual, possibly somebody who is unsaved and, and greedy, um, somebody who has been given a, a lot of an abundance of things, money perhaps, and then God takes that person and saves that person. He takes that greedy person and he makes them into a giving person. The Bible tells us that one of the gifts of the Spirit is a giving spirit, that he gives the person the desire, the passion, the heart to be giving. We might have the gift of encouragement. Someone might go through life being very harsh and critical and they get saved and the Lord changes them and converts them and there's something supernatural about them is that they're no longer critical of everything, but now they're encouraging of people. That's a spiritual gift, isn't it? You've seen spiritual gifts being functioning in people's lives around you. You've seen somebody go from being this, like this, to being like this. That was, in your mind, it was was mind-blowing in how they went from here to here. The reality of it is, is they did not go from here to here, but they were indwelt with this. It wasn't of them. It was alien to them, but it was in them. It was Christ working through them these supernatural things. There's a lot of things in our life that we know are wrong, right? We we know that we're not going in the right direction. We might have anger issues. We might have issues with bitterness or frustration or worry. We might have these things, and it's not that we need to change to being less worrisome. It's that we need to depend upon the Holy Spirit that is within us to gift us with a lack of worry to gift us with that confidence. So you might be somebody who is, before you were saved, you were a bashful person, a shy person. The Lord saved you and he gave you the gift of prophecy or he gave you the gift to speak out boldly in public. Where that wasn't something that you could do before, but God supernaturally enabled you to do that after you were saved. It's a spiritual gift that the Lord is working through you. I think sometimes we think of spiritual gifts in, in, in ways of, of the apostolic gifts, where the Lord gave the apostles power to go around and heal people. The spiritual gifts to the church are different than the apostolic gifts for one main reason is, is that it's not our power by which we carry out the spiritual gifts. It is the Holy Spirit working through us that carries out those gifts. The apostolic gifts were given specifically to the apostles and given them the authority and the power to accomplish those things. Matthew chapter number 10 tells us that. 1 Corinthians 10, the Bible describes spiritual things by using the idea of manna. And all ate the same spiritual food and all drank the same spiritual water, the same spiritual drink. And in other words, manna is like a spiritual gift, or that water that came up out of the rock, not something that naturally happens, right? Anybody seen water come up out of a rock lately? No? Okay. It doesn't happen, right? It's supernatural. It's, it's beyond that which is natural. How about bread coming down from heaven? Anybody have that happen lately, manna? Not happening, right? Okay. Why? Because it's supernatural. That's the idea of spiritual gifts. It's something that's beyond us. When we, see this, when we see this stuff coming through us, it ought to be amazing to us. It's not normal. He, again, he compares it to the idea of spiritual uh, manna and spiritual drink. 1 Corinthians 2.12, Now we re- received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit that is from God. We might understand things freely given to us by God. Luke, uh, Matthew 7 and verse 11, the Bible teaches us that. Um, you, you, you know the text. It talks about how can a, a, an earthly father knows how to give good gifts to his children. How much more show, How much more shall your heavenly father give you good gifts as well, right? Matthew 7 and verse 11. Well, if you cross-reference that to the book of Luke in chapter number 11, what you find is the same exact phrase phrase, but it says, how much more shall your heavenly Father give you the Holy Spirit? In other words, everything that we need spiritually is given to us by the Holy Spirit's dwelling in us. So we don't need anything more. We have everything that we need. And not just we have everything that we need, but obviously the church, in having the indwelling Holy Spirit, he gives us everything that he is, everything that the church needs as well. So that's, the, that's the, um, the origin of spiritual gifts. Number two, the obstacles to spiritual gifts. Now watch what happens here. The Apostle Paul says this. I do not want you to be ignorant. He says, when you were pagans, you were led astray to mute idols. Okay, when you were pagans, you were led astray to mute idols. So in other words, there was something that was taking place in their life before they were saved that was, that was driving them to idolatry that, and when he calls them mute, he's referring to the fact that they were incapable of doing anything. And not, not just referring to their inability to speak, but referring to the fact that they were not capable of bringing any change. Okay? And we're often, think about this, with these, with these Corinthian people, what happened was is there were, there were proselyters. there were people out there that were driving home these false religions. They were pushing people into false religions, and they were using the idea of these things to promote these false religions. They were pushing the people towards these false religions, and they were using things to push them in that direction. So let me give you a few things that can push us towards false religions, especially in relation to spiritual gifts. Okay? Number one, if you're taking notes, a corrupt view of our needs and spiritual gifts. A corrupt view of our needs and spiritual gifts. The reality of it is, if we have a big enough need, if we're convinced that our need is a massive need, most of us will do whatever it takes to solve that problem, right? So if somebody comes to us and says, okay, they convince us that we have this massive need, and then they tell us that this person over here, I, I heard that they have the ability to solve that problem. And these people were being, these Corinthian people were being driven to these false idols or these incapable idols these incapable healers, if you will, because they were convinced that they had an extraordinary need and that these were the only ones that could bring forth the healing of that need. So sometimes we need to have a healthy view of our our difficulties, a healthy view of our needs. Okay? Paul prayed in in, um, 2 Corinthians that the Lord would take away his infirmities. He prayed three times, didn't he? Lord, please take away this thorn in the flesh. Lord, please take away this thorn in the flesh. Lord, please take away this thorn in the flesh. And then he says, I will therefore glory in my thorn in the flesh. So he realized that being healed of his thorn in the flesh was not central. Being healed of his problem was not the focus. But God's glory was the focus and his maturity and growth was the focus. You see, what Paul needed was a thorn in the flesh to keep him from becoming built up within himself. So God sent him a thorn in the flesh, and we don't know what it was, but God sent it to him. He did not want it. And we can easily get drawn away into false teachings and to to people with quote-unquote spiritual gifts because they offer us deliverance and they offer us healing from the things that God has orchestrated in our lives. We get unhealthy views of what we need to be healed from and we will be in danger of being pushed into unhealthy relationships spiritually with those who claim to be capable of bringing us healing. Listen to me, folks. The last time I checked, Christianity is not about us, but it's about him. Right? It's all about him. It's about his glory. It's about his will. It's about his work. And the greatest struggle that that we have is not with him, but it's with overcoming us. And there's religions out there today that are promoting spiritual giftedness, and their whole focus is on what do you need. This is problematic and can be very dangerous. When we get a concept of our need, when we get a concept or the wrong concept of what we really need or how great our, our need really is, we can be led astray 2 Timothy 3, 6, For among them are those who creep into households and capture weak women, burdened down with sins, and led astray by various passions. Corrupt view of needs and spiritual gifts. Number two, counterfeiting and spiritual gifts. Three things really quick. Fake spiritual gifts, deceptive spiritual gifts, and demonic spiritual gifts. All three of them are active today, and all three of them are we're warned about in Scripture to be careful of. Fake spiritual gifts are simply people who are who are claiming to be able to do uh, things by the Spirit and the power of God, but they're not real. And most of them are not claiming the small spiritual gift of God gave me the gift of encouragement, but they're claiming these massive spiritual gifts. They're claiming the apostolic gifts. And what's weird about the apostolic gifts is you cannot show me in Scripture where the Lord did not perform a miracle that there was not immediate evidence that it was real. Immediate evidence that it was real. And that's the apostolic gifts. But that's what everybody wants to cling to and hold to because those are the most significant gifts in our minds. Why is that? Because we get a lot of credit for them. Men get great glory for them. There are fake gifts that are going on out there in the world today. Those who are mimicking something that the apostles did, specifically gifts given to the apostles, the 12 apostles, for a specific reason, not associated with the spirit of God living within us. These are different gifts. Matter of fact, you don't see in the scriptures anybody but the 12 original apostles within the season of, if you include the book of Acts, the the gospels and the book of Acts performing these great miracles. You do see some healing taking place in the, goth, in, the, in the church age, very random. It's there. I'm, I'm, I'm not here to tell you this morning that God doesn't still, still heal people. I, I think he does. I think James 5 says, if somebody is sick amongst you, you call the elders together, you anoint them with oil, you lay hands on them, and the Lord could heal them. I think that God can do that, but it's different. It's different. It's not the same as what you saw the apostles do. We've got to keep that separate. Fake spiritual gifts, deceptive spiritual gifts, meaning that the whole purpose of them is to deceive. Deceive for what reason, Pastor John? Well, there's a number of different reasons. There's financial reasons that go in our world today where people deceive to get financial support. There's a lot of reasons to deceive, to get followers. We must be careful. And then demonic spiritual gifts. This is, this is those people who are functioning under, in the realm of, the, of demons. And they have been given a power by the demons to perform spiritual gifts. 2 Thessalonians 2 and verse 9 and 10, the Bible talks about the Antichrist coming. He's called the lawless one. It says he comes after the activities of Satan with all power and false signs and wonders and with all wicked deceptions from those who are perishing because they refuse to love the truth and be saved. Matthew 24 and 24 says, In the last days there will be false Christ and false prophets arising everywhere, leading people astray, and if possible, he would even lead the elect astray. And then in Revelation 13 and also Revelation 19, the false prophet, the the, the, big, the main false prophet, is said to... And by the signs that allow to work in the presence of the beast that deceive those who dwell on the earth. And great signs he did and wonders. The same thing. We see these signs and wonders, these these spiritual quote unquote gifts being counterfeited. We see them having, there are ones that are being done that are not real. There's ones that are being done that are deceptive and there's ones that are being done that are Demonic. So first of all, the obstacles in spiritual gifts, number one, a corrupt view of our needs. Number two, a counterfeiting of spiritual gifts. And number three, carnality in spiritual gifts. We see this in chapter number 14, where spiritual gifts were, were pursued based upon what one would give them the greatest visibility, be given the greatest significance. That's where the gift of tongues gets misused. It becomes a source of elevating man versus elevating God versus preaching the gospel. The carnality in spiritual gifts. The flesh is prone to lead us into that which is supernatural. Okay? The flesh is is prone to excitement. Right? There's nothing wrong with that if it's real. The flesh is prone to lead us astray to a hope of deliverance, and the flesh is prone to desire the praise of men. Now, let's go on. The operation of the gifts. This is important for us to understand how spiritual gifts function so that we can tell whether they are real or not. Watch what the Lord says. Now there are a variety of gifts in verse number four, but the same spirit, there are varieties of servants, but the same Lord, and there are varieties of activities, but is the same God who empowers them all in, um, in everyone. So, first of all, we see that the spiritual gift that we have is empowered by God. And I believe the emphasis of this uh, in this phrase is God the Father is the one who is empowering spiritual gifts to be functioning, to be working within us. Um, The Greek word is the same word that we get the word energy for in the New Testament. In other words, God is the energy by which we function within our spiritual gifts. God is the energy in which we function in our spiritual gifts. If you're looking for strength that is your own to carry out your spiritual gift, you will always fail. But if you understand that God is the one with the energy, he's the one with the power and the ability to accomplish through you that which he has planned for you, then you'll be able to do what God has for you in this world and in this church. So we've got to understand, we've got to get back to the fact that we realize, we recognize that God is the one who decides and gives and grants the power and the strength to carry out, to work out these miracles These supernatural things, including encouragement, anybody ever think of encouragement as a supernatural thing? Anybody ever think of giving as a supernatural thing? These are mentioned. We miss it because we adopt what the world tells us a spiritual gift is and not what God's word tells us it is. God is the active worker in our spiritual gifts. Remember that. God is the active worker when it comes to our spiritual gift. We are a passive participant. In other words, God is working through your physical body. You are passive, He is active. Galatians 2 and 20, when Paul says, "I am crucified with Christ, nevertheless I live, yet not I, but it is Christ who lives in me in the life that I now live in the flesh. I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me." There is a power inside of every individual that is alien to themselves. In the same way that we believe the righteousness of Christ is alien to us, the Bible teaches us there's a power inside of you that is not yours. It is not yours. It is his power inside of us. He uses the same term throughout the scriptures. In Romans 7 and verse 5, he says, While we were living in the flesh, our sinful passions aroused by the law were at work in our members. In other words, our members were being used to carry out sinful passions in the same way that our members are used to carry out righteousness that is not ours. Folks, this is why it is so important that we walk close to the Lord. We walk close to the one who is working his will through us. It's been said that the Christian life is not about being, the Christian life is not about bettering yourself. The Christian life is about dying to yourself. The Christian life is not about Becoming a better person. It's about having a a better person live through you. Truly, folks, it is the only hope that we have. We cannot do it on our own. Everybody in here that is a believer knows that when you try to carry out God's will in your own strength, it's a disaster, isn't it? But when we let him carry out his will in his strength, it is a success. So remember this. It is the power. He says, these gifts are empowered by God. It is his power. He is the active participant in the functionality of his spiritual gifts through you, and you are a passive tool. You are a passive tool. How many of you have ever praised your screwdriver? This is how, this is how God gets all the praise. You praise the hand that turns the screwdriver. And as Christians, we are screwdrivers. We are hammers. We are wrenches in God's hands. And at the end of the day, we are unstoppable because of whose hands we're in. And he gets all the credit for it. Isn't that what it's all about? It is his power and it is his strength working in us Philippians 2.13, for it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Number two, it is the manifestation of God, the Holy Spirit. To each is given, in verse seven, the manifestation of the, of the Spirit for the common good, okay? So when we're working out, when we see God's um, power in us being worked out through us, it is not the manifestation of us it is not a display of who we are. It is not a display, and that's what the word manifest here means. It means a display. It means to put something on display, okay? So when you utilize your spiritual gift, you are putting something on display. When you utilize your talent, what are you putting on display? When we use our talents, we're putting ourselves on display, right? When we utilize our spiritual gift, we are putting the Spirit of God on display. We are putting him out there for all the world to see, right? So when I use my spiritual gifts, sometimes you might come to me after a message and say, Pastor John, that was a good message. And what is my response going to be normally? Praise the Lord, right? Thank you for your encouraging words, but praise the Lord. Why? Because this is not John Prettyman's talent This is the spiritual gift that God has given me. And if I'm not walking close to the Lord, this is going to be a mess. Because it is God manifesting himself. It is God working through me to manifest, to put himself on display. You get that? God is working through us to put himself on display. And whatever... Spiritual gift he decides to work through us with. Number three, he says at the end of this, verse number 11 all these are empowered by one and the same Spirit who apportions to each one individually as he wills. It is apportioned by God the Holy Spirit. The word apportioned here means divided, distributed. It's to take something and to tear it apart and then to give it out. It's it's similar to the Lord's Supper. When they took the Lord's Supper, they took the body, the bread, which is a picture of the body of Christ, right? And they tore it apart and they gave it to each one of the disciples. The Lord does the same thing with the spiritual gifts. He takes the body of Christ and he apportions it to us through those gifts. It is apportioned by God, the Holy Spirit, God gives us gifts as he sees fit to give us for the purpose of glorifying himself and accomplishing the work of the church. Matter of fact, I believe this. I believe it's possible that the spiritual gifts are seasonal. I don't believe that it. it's, pos- it's, it's, not, it's not told us in scriptures that once they had the spiritual gift, it never changed or it never stopped. I believe it's possible that they are seasonable, seasonal, seasonal, in accordance with what was needed in that moment. The gift of tongues is a very important piece of that because the gift of tongues was simply the way for, for Hebrew-speaking people to speak in other languages, the gospel, so that other people could receive and hear the gospel. The word literally is languages. And you will actually see, if you read 1 Corinthians 12 and 14, you will see this, other languages, other other languages, plural, other languages, that's the word tongues, other tongues. It was a way to communicate the gospel to people who didn't, weren't able to hear the gospel. What we have today that's called tongues is not tongues at all. It's a, it's a distortion. You know, I don't want to sound harsh, but it is, it is, is in many ways a blasphemy of what the Holy Spirit truly seeks to accomplish. And if you look at chapter 14 of Romans, uh, 1 Corinthians, and you talk about the fact that some people were speaking in a language that nobody understood, and they shouldn't do that unless they have an interpreter. He's talking about, honestly, if I, had a, if I were to bring in a Russian missionary, let's just use the example, into our church today, and all he spoke was Russian, how beneficial would that be to our body lest we had a Russian interpreter? That's what 1 Corinthians 14 is all about. That's the gift was given to minister the gospel. And the Holy Spirit gives that gift. He, he, he chooses when to give that gift. He chooses to whom to give. And I'm not just not just not that, that gift specifically, but the spiritual gifts. He chooses where they're needed, when they're needed, and he apportions them as needed. And that means that God might gift you in a certain way at Grace Bible Church, but He might one day move you to another state and He might put you in another church and He might gift you some other way to accomplish his work within that church. They are portioned by God, the Holy Spirit. Number four, they are governed by God, the Son. Watch what he says, therefore, in verse number three, I want you to understand that no one speaking in the spirit of God ever says Jesus is accursed. In other words, no one who is utilizing their spiritual gift ever minimizes Jesus. No one using their spiritual gifts ever minimizes Jesus, but maximizes him to the point where they realize that when we are using our spiritual gifts, we are submitting to the lordship of Christ. The Greek word here is kurios. It means he is the master of that spiritual gift. He is the Lord of it because he is the Lord of us. So our way, when we use our spiritual gift, to, to kneel down before the sovereignty of Jesus Christ and to, and to submit to whatever he sees is needed in the church. It's interesting because really we have a low understanding of what's needed in the church, and he has a massive understanding of what's needed in the church. It's governed by God the Son. Jesus Christ is the one who governs our spiritual gifts. Number five, it is requested by believers. There are several times in this context, 12 through 14, where he says, pursue these gifts, request these gifts, Uh, pray for these gifts. He's talking about the fact that we, we don't have the authority to demand these gifts. We don't have the power to go out and just in our own strength make these gifts happen. What do we do? We kneel down before the one who is the author and the empowerer and the administrator of these gifts, and we ask him, Lord God, you know what? Work through me. In whatever capacity you see fit, God, work through me. I'm just a frail vessel. I'm, I'm empty and incapable. But you're capable. Work through me. We request these spiritual gifts that we might be that we might be used within the church body to accomplish God's purpose for us in this body. The next main point, and the last one, is the object of these spiritual gifts. The object of these spiritual gifts. Number one, the object is to exalt Christ. The reason God gives us spiritual gifts, folks, is that we might exalt Christ We might see him living in and through us and the world around us might see him living in and through us and they might glorify him as well. Matthew 5, the Bible says that they might see our good works and glorify our Father who is in heaven. That's why he gives us these gifts so that we can be helpful. We can function within the body of Christ. We can see God's will carried out in the world around us. That's why we have these gifts so listen, if anybody ever comes to you and says, well, I have this spiritual gift, then it is not. Matter of fact, let me say this to you. It's rare in the word of God where you see people running around saying, I have this spiritual gift. True? Do you know what they did with their spiritual gift? They ran around using it to help people. That's what they did. It wasn't for their glory. It was for his glory. It should always exalt Christ. Number two, it's meant to encourage the church. 1 Corinthians 14, 3 through 5, and also verse 12, the Bible talks about that the church would be built up by the use of these spiritual gifts. The church would be built up, the church would be built up, the church would be built up. Remember this, the main function of the spiritual gifts is for the body of Christ. There was one gift given that was that was utilized for the world according to 1 Corinthians 14, and that was the gift of tongues because it was the communication of the gospel into languages that the gospel did not, was not presently there. And he says this, this gift, the gift of tongues, is for the unbeliever. The gift of prophecy is for the believer. Paul says it, I don't say it. It's because the gospel needed to be ministered into all languages, And that's what Acts 2 is all about. It is the gospel being presented to Jews and Gentiles and the whole world. And what does he do? He's like, okay, you're going to be blessed with these languages. Some people were going to be blessed with the ability to hear in their own language. That was their gift. The speaker spoke in his own language, but somebody was gifted with, hey, you know what? I hear that in my own language. Do you know what God was worried about? He wasn't worried about them having the gift. He was worried about them having the gospel. That's why he gave them that gift. Encourage the church in the body. We have needs in the church. Again, James 5, if, you have, if somebody is sick amongst you, call the elders together, let them lay hands on them, anoint them with oil, and the prayer of faith will heal the sick. That's to the church. God's still in the business of healing. It's different, but it's still there. Unite the church. It's there to unite the church. Encourage the church and unite the church. All of the body functioning together brings unity in the church. And then lastly, it's there to broadcast the gospel. Acts 2, as well as 1 Corinthians 14, Paul says this, if you're speaking to your own people, if you're speaking to the people in your own language, speak Prophecy. In other words, speak the word. Preach the word. If you're speaking to people in your own language, preach the word. But if there's a situation where you're put into a a situation where you cannot speak, and God gave them utterance to speak in their languages or utterance to, or hearing that they could hear in their own language for the sake of ministering the gospel. Let me ask you guys this question. How many of you seen the gift, and I want you to raise your hand because I might have some people that say, I did. Okay, that's fine. But let me ask you the question. How many of us have seen the gift of tongues utilized to communicate the gospel to somebody in another language that they did not have the ability to communicate with? Because all I'm saying to you is this is that's the gift of tongues. That's the gift of tongues. So all of this debate and argument over the gift of tongues being practical in our day and age by people who are speaking in gibberish, first of all, they need to go back and understand what that, what that gift even means. Then we can deal with whether or not it's for our day, but we can't deal with whether or not it's for our day until we understand what it means and what its purposes were and are is to broadcast the gospel. So in closing... When dealing with spiritual gifts in a world where they are worshiped as idols, remember the following. They are spiritual and they are gifted. It's something that God works through us, not something that we work out on our own. It's something that God decides in that situation that it's necessary and he empowers us. He works through us to accomplish his purpose in that situation and in that moment. They can be misunderstood They can be counterfeited, and we can be carnal in the use of them. Be careful of those three things. Those things are dangerous. Remember, they are empowered by, distributed by, controlled by, and they are a manifestation of God and his Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And when they are used to accomplish the purpose that God had for them, they are good. When they are used to accomplish our purposes, they are evil. They are, maybe the word evil is not the right word, but they can be hurtful and even somewhat dangerous. In closing, remember, with spiritual gifts, we have no authority. Amen? But remember this as well. God has unlimited authority. When it comes to our spiritual gifts, there's nothing that God cannot do if it fits within his purpose in that which he's trying to accomplish in that season of the church. There's nothing he can't do. It's always about him and not about us. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord, for this day, for your grace and your strength. Thank you for your word. Thank you for the gifts that you give us to encourage, to unify, to magnify Christ, to communicate the gospel. Help us, Lord God, to... Strengthen, the, strengthen each other with these gifts. And Lord God, to accomplish the work that you have for us. I pray that you give us a, a deeper understanding and appreciation for the things that you wish to accomplish through us. Lord God, that you'll be glorified um, as we use them. We'll give you the praise for it in Christ's name.